Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Finally, a prophet you've heard of. Elijah appears out of nowhere, or at least from Gilead, which is next to nowhere, in Israel's eastern territory. He's definitely not from the tribe or kingdom of Judah, and probably from the tribe of Gad. So he's a man from the northern kingdom who is going to represent us to the northern king. Now, then, is the perfect time to let you know what Elijah means. Wait, listen to it, Elijah. You've got that, don't you? You've got the Yah equals me down, and El? Well, after serving much earlier as a more precise moniker for the supreme Canaanite deity, El is now just God. Put it all together, Elijah means Yahweh is God. Perfect man for the job, great name for your next son, too. We've had enough of this menu of God's nonsense, and it's time to draw a line in the sand. I've been trying to work with these people since Abram and I set the Abra plan in motion, and have for the most part simply worked on their trusting in me as their God, as opposed to other divine options. We admit that we've not necessarily been making a huge case for my being the only God. Even in my challenges to the Egyptian deities in all their departments, we didn't push the one and only button yet just the anything-you-think-they-can-do-I-can-do-better button ten times. Now, however, the time has come to switch from our previous greatest curriculum to a permanent-only course and kick the amateur, or rather non-existent, wannabes off the menu. In order to take things to that next level, we shift our policy back from using occasional prophets who speak into the lives of errant kings, as in recent years, to the old method in calling one man to a life of vocational prophecy. He will curate our curriculum shift. Think of it as moving from part-timers to a full-time employee. As we focus our attention and Elijah's on Ahab's crass rejection of all things Yahweh, this is going to be too all-consuming a project for there to be time for Elijah to tend crops, sheep, shop, or even children. The owner's manual gives no clue as to what Elijah's life is like over in Gilead before we call him, but then gives more detail about his life and actions than any other prophet before or after. Elijah's sole purpose is to prove three things. Baal is not God. That's in all the Baal flavors, be it Baal Hadad, Baal Mekart, Baal Hamon, Baal Just In Case, whatever. Elijah is also to prove that I am God, and as a result of this and the prior proof that Baal is not God, finally I am the only God. Since Baal is charged with fertility of every kind, and fertility of crops in particular, the weather falls under his purview. No rain, no crops. So he's not only in charge of making the rainfall, but also making sure it comes in measured amounts at the right time. 
not too little, not too much, mostly during growing season, not so much at harvest, and so on. As mentioned, each wonder we did in Egypt fell smack dab in the middle of a department or territory belonging to one of their gods, Hopi and Hecate and Ra, oh my! Baal gets the same opportunity to meet me on a field over which he has alleged mastery, and the Elijah Protocol begins with a missive to King Ahab, as brief as a telegraph, declaring war on Baal. Elijah writes, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Best regards, Elijah slash Yahweh is God. That's in 1 Kings 17.1. We'll be in this in the next chapter quite a while. And if you scan ahead, you'll see that Elijah's around clear into the second chapter of 2 Kings. We could nearly give him his own season, but we won't. As I mentioned, Elijah is now a full-time prophet relying full-time on me. He's not independently wealthy and running for the office of profit on his own cash, so we are going to take care of him. As you can imagine from your already burgeoning knowledge of us, we are going to do so with symbolic meaning. First, we send Elijah to Awadi, which is a small valley riverbed that is dry except in rainy season. We send him to a wet wadi in the first days of drought, there we send him food by Yahweh's private-use delivery ravens. Bread and meat are delivered twice daily. And at the start of his sojourn there, Wadi water continues to trickle down. It's a progressive faith-building program we've started for Elijah. He's walking pretty much in the steps of the entire nation of pre-split Israel back in the days of the Exodus and their wilderness wanderings. They trusted in me when I sent them out there and I provided manna, like the bread Elijah's getting, and quail, like the meat Elijah's having delivered, and water from the rock, like the water in the wadi. Only I don't permanently exempt Elijah's wadi from the effects of no rainfall. His water supply soon gets as dry as the neighbor's, and so when this natural resource is exhausted, Elijah has the choice to head back to civilization to get a drink, or to wait on us to slake his thirst. It's early in his career with us, so we don't make him wait very long before we tell Elijah to pull up stakes and move elsewhere. This move is the next module in our faith-building program in which we've enrolled him, because we send Elijah to the middle of enemy territory, north to the heart of Phoenicia and Baal's home turf. And the tests of faith just keep on a-coming for I am not sending Elijah to seek refuge and sustenance from someone of abundant Phoenician means. Instead, I've been having chats with a widow up there who has faith in me, representing just the tiniest bit of turnabout on Baal in his own territory. She is the one who has no resources whatsoever. She's the one to whom I send the prophet for sustenance. In fact, She's down to her last cup of flour and tablespoon of oil. When Elijah meets her just outside her town of Zarephath, she's gathering a bit of firewood with which to make one last meal for her and her son, expecting they'll pretty much just lay down and starve to death once they've had one last pita together, all of which she relays to Elijah. 
And so this meeting is an instant faith test, both for Elijah, who, to his credit, does not dial up a, Yahweh, I think you gave me the wrong address here, and for the widow. She's already at the end of her rope, and then Elijah asks for that rope end, too. Make something for me first, then make something for yourself and your boy. And the widow's got to be thinking, this guy didn't hear what I said at all. I said I've only got enough for one last small loaf. Typical man, only thinking about his own appetite, and who cares about anyone else? But we don't make her wait in that place very long either. Well, you can guess what we do if you don't already know this bit. We feed all three of them. Of course we do. In his next breath, Elijah tells her, Yahweh, the God of Israel, promises that neither your jar of flour nor jug of oil will run out until the day Yahweh sends rain on the earth. Isn't she glad she started believing in me? And doesn't she wish she'd had a cookie jar with her to be blessed with the same endless supply of chocolate chips like her limitless jars of flour and oil? Actually, she's far too grateful for that to be on her mind and I keep my promise to keep her in flour and oil for as long as needed. When she opens them up in the morning, they've still got all she needs for the day's meals, even though she fed Elijah and her family well the day before. This, too, is a whole lot like the manna in the wilderness situation. You'll notice I'm not piling a lot of surplus on this gal and or Elijah. They're getting just what they need every day. When the day ends, they've had enough. When the day ends, they've used up all they've got and are trusting me that there will be enough for them again tomorrow. This goes on for weeks, then months, then years. The faith that results in these people from three solid years of daily loss, trust, and provision is nearly unassailable. And it would not have been so if I'd had a wagon full each of flour and oil delivered for her to keep in her basement. Uh, of course, she didn't have one, but that's where you'd put it if you had one. We've seen time and again the ways of kings who've been blessed with an abundance. Sure, some, even most, thanked me for it at first. But then most, Solomon included, instead of building their faith as desired, took it all for granted and let it go to their heads instead. No, the surest way to build faith is to have just enough and trust that the sunrise and I will bring just enough for the next day. I am also the one supplying the sunrise, of course. This is not a financial strategy course I'm talking about. I am talking to the many of you who don't have the luxury of saving something for a rainy day or even for tomorrow. You know exactly what this widow and Zarephath and Elijah are feeling. And let me tell you, your faith is being ratcheted up in the process, friend. I can see it. You're growing and getting far stronger in all the ways that matter. Stronger in faith than the folks who think they've got it made, I can tell you that. Don't worry about them. We'll get them into their own faith training program. You know exactly which one you're in right now, and I want you to hear the promise I make to that widow. She is dear to me, and so are you. The two of you may not have had much today, but it's been enough. 
I promise there is going to be enough for you tomorrow too, and the next day, and the next. And it's not always going to be like this. You can't give up now, because if you do, you'll miss the rewards you're working on right now. Your faith really is building some sturdy biceps. Once you get through this time of your life, when you meet a challenge of any kind later on, you will know that we can handle it together, you and I, because we've gotten through this together. And though it will feel like they are a long time in coming, the rains are going to come, for the widow and for you. In the meantime... There are times things will get even worse before they get better, and you're going to have to hang in there. The trust in me that gets you through one day with just enough until the next will get you through the major hurdles as well. Because it's not your trust getting you through. It's me. And I never fail. Stay with me on the way, friend and we will do amazing things together, one day at a time. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.